please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Voice America welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now, here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. Good morning, everybody. I am a little hoarse. I have a really bad case of laryngitis, and I apologize to my guest, Andrew Elowit, who I've been looking forward to having on the show for quite some time. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you, Cindy. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. I told you that when I have laryngitis, it is not an allergy. It is an <laughs> ailment. <laughs> I'm so sorry to hear that. But um, we will get through this. So, Andrew, you've been a colleague of mine for a couple of years now. We're ProVisors members together. Mm-hmm. And um, you are the founder of a company called New Actions, and that's consulting, coaching, facilitation. And you finally wrote a book. That's true. Um, In a prior life, I was a lawyer. I practiced for over 20 years. And uh, after I moved to my new profession of coaching and organizational consulting, I continued to work in the legal sector, but in a much different capacity. I was working as a consultant, a practice management consultant, and as a coach to lawyers. And the book really came out of my experiences in coaching lawyers. Yeah, no, and I it's, I think that it's a very interesting topic, particularly for those in the legal profession, but also applies to people outside of the legal profession as well. Yeah, the book is of interest, I think, to all professionals. Maybe 20% of it is lawyer-specific, but I have found that clients of mine and um, people that have found out about the book in other professions like accounting, investment banking, real estate management have also expressed a lot of interest and found many of the chapters uh, very useful and very applicable to their lives and their challenges. Well, what's the name of the book, Andrew? The name of the book is The Lawyer's Guide to Professional Coaching, Leadership, Mentoring, and Effectiveness. Well, there you go. Buy it now on Amazon, right? (laughs) Well, actually not now on Amazon. The book was published by the American Bar Association, and they uh, retain exclusive rights to it. Uh, for the first eight, uh, eight or nine months. So it's available either through the American Bar Association or through my website, newactions.com. Okay, well, we'll talk about that throughout the course of the show, okay? Sounds good. Why did you write the book? Why? Well, it came out of a couple of conversations that I had. Um, in the foreword, which was written by Neil Olson, uh, we described the conversation. Neil, like me, a former lawyer who became an executive coach. And we were coaching both executives and lawyers. And we found that there were some very distinct differences, not only in the kind of coaching that takes place, but in how receptive uh, people were. Executives, by and large, were far more interested and receptive to coaching than lawyers. Now, the executives we were both working with were largely in Silicon Valley. They were early adapters. um, And they warmed to coaching quite uh, quickly. Lawyers, on the other hand, and I think this is part 
the nature of the business, were more skeptical, more resistant, and they wanted to make sure that coaching really was going to be effective for them. Um, we spent a lot of time thinking about why this was the case, and really the conclusion that we came to was that lawyering and coaching are two such dissimilar professions that they uh, don't understand one another very well. Uh, Lawyers and coaches come from two very different mindsets, and I experienced this when I made the transition from lawyering to becoming a coach. Now, the other conversation that came up was that I would talk to lawyers about what I did, and I found that um, this is going back more than 10 years ago. There was an awfully lot of eye-rolling when I mentioned the word coach. And honestly, my first reaction was to be very defensive and to try to justify uh, the value of coaching and how it could help them. Um, I realized after a while that that was all about me, and it'd be a lot better to be curious about why they were rolling their eyes and why they had this um, attitude about coaching. So I followed up on it, and I started asking lawyers, well, you know, I can tell that you have a negative reaction. I'm curious what's behind that. And then they started telling me their stories of coaching, either personal stories, people in their offices, colleagues of theirs. And it occurred to me that a lot of what they were getting as, quote, coaching, close quote, really wasn't coaching at all. And that was part of the problem. So part of the goal of the book is to provide some kind of quality control and orientation, uh, quality control so that lawyers can know how to pick better coaches, and uh, orientation so they understand the profession better and know the questions to ask when they're interviewing coaches. Well, what were they getting if it wasn't coaching? What was very disappointing to them when um, they were rolling their eyes? You know, there, was, there were many things, Cindy, that came into play. Uh, one of the things was that people um, would be giving them advice as opposed to coaching. And we can talk more about that later. It's a big part of you know, what distinguishes coaching, what makes it more powerful, but also what's missing in a lot of uh, coaching or supposed coaching that takes place. Uh, the other thing was that people who were coaching lawyers really didn't have a lot of experience in lawyering. Uh, Lawyers found that they had to explain at great length uh, what it meant uh, to have uh, billable hours, realization rates, uh, why something that would work in an, uh, the context of a high-tech or a biotech just wasn't going to work in their law firm, in their legal practice. And that's because the models are so different between professional firms and businesses. Yeah, no, I understand that. So then the ABA contacted you. Yes, they did. Um, uh, from my uh, other writing and from my public speaking, they knew that uh, I knew a lot about coaching, that I had coached a lot of lawyers, and they asked if I could uh, write a book about the subject. And uh, I'm, I'm realizing now just how lucky I was to have been contacted rather than having to uh, shop the book around. Uh, as far as the ABA law practice management section was concerned, there was definitely a need for the book. And uh, judging by the initial response to the book, I think that's very, very true. Well, no, I think that's great for those listeners that don't know. This is the American Bar Association. Thank you, Cindy. Not everybody, not all of my listeners are lawyers. They might think it's the American Booksellers Association. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's probably many ABAs. If there are, actually. There really are. Um, but so congratulations. And you have a great collaboration. And, again, you're welcome to provide the website where the book can be 
purchased throughout the show. Oh, thank you, Cindy. Uh, you know, my, my disabled voice works to your advantage. Well, I'm happy to fill the air, and if I'm spending too much time doing that, please cut me off. No problem. Okay, well, no, you're doing absolutely great. Absolutely great. I would imagine that, are you getting more calls now from legal professionals, mostly attorneys, partners in law firms, because the economy sunk and they can't figure out how to, you know, sustain business? Because a lot of partners went pre-recession, um, you know, never really had to worry about getting business because the business was always there. And now all of a sudden, business shrunk. And how did that affect people that you deal with in the legal community? Oh, Cindy, that's, that's so very, very true. You know, I used to describe what I did was uh, working with law firms that are experiencing growing pains. The last three or four years, I've changed that to uh, law firms that are experiencing shrinking pains. Uh, it certainly seems more uh, apropos. You know, the recession uh, has had a tremendous impact on the legal community, and it's been more uh, severe, more dramatic in the legal community than the economy in general. There are old blue-chip law firms, uh, law firms that are national or international that have imploded, um, some of them you know, quite dramatically in the last few years. And it, as you mentioned, it is very, very hard for lawyers um, to make these adjustments. So the timing of the book and the timing of, and the usefulness of coaching is uh, excellent. Uh, in times of turmoil, dramatic change, we do have to adapt. You know, if we don't, we perish. It's the biological imperative. But lawyers really didn't know how they could change what was available to them. So there's a lot more interest in coaching. Now, since the books come out, I have been getting more calls. Now, mind you, it's been out, I think, a scant three weeks. I knew that lawyers would be interested in the book. It was written for lawyers and, to a lesser extent, for the people who coach lawyers. I thought it could uh, help both uh, populations. I did not uh, recognize the breadth of appeal of the book. I have found, much to my surprise, since the book came out, there's been a tremendous amount of interest from the people who work in law firms who are charged with uh, developing lawyers, the ones that recruit lawyers, the ones that make sure they acquire the skills they need, and the very skills that you alluded to, business development, marketing, um, everybody, not just lawyers, is in a position now of learning how to do more with less and in shorter time frames. Well, let's talk more about this in the next segment sure. because I know that it's a topic that you know you that you are finding fills a need right now in this economic you know state that we're in, and I find it very interesting. And I really do think this is why you know the sales of your book are going to be you know more fruitful than in other times. So stand by, don't go away. More with Andrew Elliott. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 
Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At BR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. BR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of BR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.brpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. BR Public Relations. We do it all. www.brpublicrelations.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. If you have a question or comment, call in at 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Here's Cindy Rakowitz. We're back with Andrew Elowet, and um, he's with New Actions, and he is a new author. And we're talking about his new book. And um, please go back to the last segment so you could hear a prequel to this one. And we were talking about the soft economy and why this book comes in very handy at this time. Do you want to continue where I cut you off? Sure. Um, Adapting to the new economy is all about making changes. Um, And, you know, in a perfect world, all the changes we'd make would come effortlessly. We'd know instantly what to do. Uh, We wouldn't have any problem figuring that out. And then when it came to implementation... We could do that uh, readily. You know, the real world isn't that way. We run into obstacles. Often we don't have the clarity. Sometimes we think we need to make one change, and actually it's something quite different. And this is part of the power of coaching, is to not just give people advice, but rather to help them overcome these obstacles. No, definitely. Um, it's, uh, it's a new economic era. And um, I'm sure that you could be very helpful or a coach could be very helpful um, to lawyers in understanding it. And, um, you know, that's where coaching and lawyering are two very different professions and services, right? You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Uh, they're absolutely different. There's really, uh, it's, it's hard to find two professions that are more dissimilar. Now, let's, you know, we can just start uh, with the point of, who can call themselves a lawyer, uh, or at least legally call themselves a lawyer? You need to have gone to law school. You need to have passed the bar. You need to uh, be up to date on your bar dues so you are an actual active member in the jurisdiction in the state where you're practicing law. It is against the law to present yourself as a lawyer if you aren't one. Now, in complete, complete contrast to that, Cindy, let's say you want to be a coach. Call yourself a coach. It's like being a consultant. There is no legal restriction on who can call themselves a coach. There are certifications that are available. There are schools that teach people how to coach. They have very different philosophies, and the rigor of the program varies a great deal. It can be anything from a one-year course. Some universities offer certifications 
in coaching, or there are people who can go online for three weeks and get a coaching certificate. Now, there is a body of the International Coach Federation which credentials coaches under their system, and you need coaching education for that. Um, I think it's a step in the right direction. Uh, It's certainly not governmental control. It is not the last word in terms of quality control, but it does show you that somebody takes coaching seriously enough that they went to the trouble to educate themselves, and they went to the trouble to get credentials. Now, what you find in the legal profession when it comes to coaches is there are lawyers. I know this is shocking to your listeners. There are lawyers that are unhappy being lawyers, and they're looking for something outside of the legal profession or a different role to play in it, and they decide they'll hang up their shingle in a new way and call themselves a coach. My experience is often those people are working as consultants. They're advisors. They're giving advice as opposed to giving real coaching. Right. Now, and there's nothing wrong with that. The advice they may be giving is good, but it further dilutes the meaning of coaches. Now, on top of that, everybody seems to be a coach today. Um, if you go to the Internet and type in coach, you can probably find a coach for every life transition that there is. There are coaches uh, to help your kids apply to college. There are birth coaches. There are coaches to help you deal with your pet. There are even coaches to help you connect. And I'm using the word coach because that's how these people identify themselves. People to help you connect with uh, deceased relatives. So the term has gotten very diluted. It's been abused. And what we're talking about here is professional coaching. And that's why in the title of the book, we say the lawyer's guide to professional coaching. Right. That makes sense. I mean, you know, and you are certified, right? Uh, yes, I'm certified uh, by the Newfield Network, uh, which had a very rigorous program of uh, coaching education, which involved not just learning the material, but practicing it, and practicing it under the guidance of a mentor coach. I think that's really the best way to learn something like this. These skills of coaching aren't something that you can pick up from uh, watching a webinar or uh, a video or reading a book. Uh, you actually have to practice them, and you need coaching in order to learn how to coach well. So that's one of the main differences with lawyering. The mindset is really different, too. Lawyers are very analytical. You know, you call a lawyer because you have a problem. You need advice. And lawyers step in, and they're very learned in an area. And they can tell you what your options are. They can tell you the risk involved. But it's all about analysis, and it's all about coming up with solutions. And that's, that's fantastic. I mean, I, I respect lawyering tremendously. I'm glad I have that background. It helps me every day. Coaching, you're not, if you're doing pure coaching, and we can talk about that later too because hybrids exist, but if you're doing pure coaching, then you're not there saying to your client, you know, you should do A and then you should do C and then you should do G. It's not giving advice. It's not substituting your judgment for somebody else. It's being in dialogue with your client, figuring out what's important to them, and then figuring out what they can do. And it's not you supplying the answers as a coach, but rather helping them discover the answers for themselves. It needs to be what's most meaningful for them so they will be energized and they will then follow through and get things done. 
coaching is all about getting things done. It's all about overcoming obstacles. And as I said earlier, in a perfect world, all the changes we made would be, you know, perfectly frictionless. In that world, there'd be no need for coaches. Right. Everybody needs a coach to be better. Or you need how to you need to learn how to coach yourself, and uh, that's one of the uh, benefits of uh, being coached. If coaching works well, and if you have a masterful coach, the coaching skills that are used in your coaching are going to spill over, and you're going to start using them in the way you approach problems in your law practice, in your personal life, uh, in the economic decisions you make. You'll find that you'll start to ask different questions and approach things in a different way. So, in effect, you become a coach to yourself. And that's the goal, I think, of all good coaching, is to have a client who at some point says, you know what, I've internalized what I've learned, I've mastered these skills, I've made the changes that I want to make, and that may be changes in behavior or attitudes or habits. And now I can apply that and I can move forward, and I'll certainly run into new challenges, but now I have a new set of skills to use as well. Yeah, you teach a pe- you teach a village how to fish and hope that they could fish for themselves, right? Um, I just uh, uh, read a quote that was attributed to Karl Marx, and I can't believe it was. And it went along those lines. It said, you know, you teach a man to fish. Uh, you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. You teach a man to fish, you've lost a great business opportunity. <laughs> now, now, well, I think that, that's apropos for these times. Yeah, no, I think it was a misprint. I, I, I think that was probably more Groucho Marx than Karl Marx. But <laughs> I think that you're so right. And again, I want to apologize so much that I'm not my voicey self. But you know what? You sound really good, and that's what really counts. You have a really good radio voice. Oh, thank you. That's so kind of you. No, um, it's actually honest. You have a really great radio voice, and you're carrying us through. And um, I want to, you know that I'm not sounding like me, and I'm so, so sorry about that. Uh, you know, I can tell. It's, it's, it's a, there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance there. You know, this isn't the Cindy that I'm familiar with, but I'm happy to carry the load. Um, I'm having the allergy attack of death the last few days in Los Angeles, so um, I have a lot of empathy for you with the laryngitis, and uh, it's certainly widespread at this time of year here. Oh, it really is. Well, for, also for people that talk too much, right? I have never known that to be a problem of yours. <laughs> Not at all. Not never. at all. So when you are coaching, um, you know, lawyers, yes. um, when do you know that they had that aha moment where, you know, they've, you know, they've discovered the answers rather than providing the answers? Because there must be a sea change that you notice. That's a great question. Um, you know, when I first started coaching and coaching lawyers, um, what I would gauge uh, that aha moment would be when they achieved a cognitive understanding, uh, when they could, you know, connect the dots, if you will, and realize, okay, I've been doing such and such, and that's not working for me anymore, even though it once worked for me, and now I need to do something new, and that something new is fill in the blank. Um, I used to uh, think that was the uh, point that there was, you know, a great shift. And over time, I've stepped away from there. You know, lawyers as a population are very smart people. You know, they have few problems in understanding what needs to be done. Right. I mean, how could you pass the bar without being smart? Um, You know, in my case, luck, but uh, no. (laughs) Uh, I doubt it. 
Thanks. I mean, you oh. know, listen, I know what the questions on the bar look like. Not that I've taken the bar, but I've read about it out of curiosity. And you have to be pretty intelligent to attack a lot of the questions. Absolutely. I have a dear friend who just passed the bar, and we were so excited. And I have to say, after, you know, figure I passed the bar in 1979, I still get a queasy feeling in my stomach when the subject of taking the bar exam comes up. Um, lawyers are certainly smart enough, but there's something that, you know, I think it's commonly called the knowing-doing gap. The knowing-doing gap. You may know what to do, but actually being able to do it is a whole other thing. And that's, you know, it's not just something related to lawyers. I think maybe it's more frustrating for lawyers because they are so intelligent and they get it cognitively. You know, they, they can wrap their heads around it. But actually putting it into action is what's a challenge for them. And where I see, you know, going back to your original question, the aha moment, the thing where I realize that they've got it is, I see a change in their energy that's usually manifest in their body. They usually, you know, once they really get it, uh, you can see them. It's almost like they step into their body. Uh, they may lean forward. Uh, they may get more active. Uh, they may gesture more dramatically. Uh, there's something, you know, it's like, uh, you know, that they get that first cup of coffee into their system in the morning, and all of a sudden there's a buzz about them. And that's where I can see it now, and that's where I know they stand a pretty good chance of being able to implement uh, what they've uh, recognized in that aha moment. And mind you, coaching isn't just you know one big aha moment. Sometimes it is. Um, more often than not, it's a series of them. And sometimes the things that seem you know rather minor uh, and just you know maybe a change in attitude. Maybe realizing if you're a lawyer that, uh, and realizing the ways that your perfectionism, all the, all the habits and all the things you did that got you great grades as an undergraduate and great grades, you know, in law school, and you ended up uh, with all kinds of honors. Those are wonderful habits that served you well, and now you've taken them to a point where they're really throttling your productivity and hurting you, especially if you're maybe applying those habits to something where it's a relationship, something like business development or leadership or management. These are interpersonal skills. Perfectionism, when it's applied to interpersonal skills, it's pretty strange, isn't it? It's hard to, you know. Oh, yes, always, but not just in the legal field, in many fields also for, you know, the Harvard MBAs that are coming out there. So, listen, let's take a commercial break again. And um, we'll continue a little bit more about this subject and continue on. And, Andrew, you're doing really, really great. What's the name of your book? The book is The Lawyer's Guide to Professional Coaching, and it's published by the American Bar Association. It's available on my website, newactions, that's a plural, dot com, as well as from the American Bar Association. Okay, let's take a commercial break, and we'll have more with Andrew when we come back. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. 
Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com Streaming live. The leader in internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Get free advice from crisis communications guru Cindy Rakowitz now. Call 866-472-5788. Let's get back to Stars of PR. Here's the host and CEO of PR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. We're back. If you are a lawyer that feels that you are great at analysis, and needs to take it to the next level, you should really talk to Andrew Elowit. And um, go back to the last two segments if you missed them, because we're talking about coaching and lawyering. And it's uh, very educational, very, very helpful, as I'm sure the book is. And I'm really pleased to have the author on the show. Um, Andrew, when people... I'm sure you come into a situation when people get good advice and don't follow it. What are the tips that you provide to help them overcome it, to help overcome the obstacles? Well, well the first thing I do is, uh, re- you know, help them recognize that knowing what to do and being able to do it are two different things, and that it's pretty human to not know uh, exactly how to implement. And rather than uh, going to town and trying harder, you know, lawyers and a lot of people are in doing mode most of the time. And when we can't achieve our goals, when there's something we feel we should do or know we should do, uh, I think our typical reaction is to try harder and longer. Uh, we amp up our intensity. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, if you can think about this metaphor, it's like we want to get into a house. And the front door of the house is locked. And the front door is bolted. And, you know, we ring the doorbell and we bang on the door and then we put our shoulder to the door and we try to, you know, finally maybe we try to get the battering ram out to get into the house and to make the kinds of changes that we want. And that takes a lot of energy and you bruise a lot of shoulders and it's not very effective, especially when there are alternatives. So what I help people do is stop. Stop banging on the door. Stop looking at the only way into the house is through the front door. We may find that the back door or the side door are open, and we can get in easily there. And by back door and side door, to explain the metaphor, we look at the problem differently. You know, rather than just approaching it one way, through the coaching dialogue, we talk about what the larger issue may be. We all tend to look at an issue from one perspective. That's not just lawyers. That's the way we're wired. And typically we get pretty hung up and pretty attached to the perspective we've taken. Part of the value of coaching is having somebody else there saying, hey, 
have you ever looked at it this way? And when you start to do that, people release that uh, fixation with the front door, the one way they're looking at things, and they begin to consider other possibilities. They realize that if they shift the way they're looking at the problem, the solutions may appear. So the first thing I'll do is talk with them broadly about how we're approaching the problem, and I'll try to get to know what's important to them. Now, what's important to them in the business world, that masquerades as values. You know, it sounds very, very uh, official and coaching speak when we talk about values. I try to stay away from that. I talk about what's important. And when we talk about what's most important, those are your priorities. So I get to learn the person, and I kind of I try to figure out how the world looks from their eyes and how the problem appears from their eyes. Those are the first steps that I'll take. And then we'll focus on the goals. What are the results that they want? And often in coaching, and this is not just with lawyers, the goals that uh, and the results that people articulate aren't necessarily the uh, final ones that they want. They may be an intermediate step. Somebody may say, going back to a lawyer example, you know, I need to, I want to make partner. That is my goal. Well, I think it's a real fair question to say, what is going to be different in your life when you make partner? And so you go deeper. And that, again, informs what's important to them and what they're trying to do. And so you have a larger context. And then once you start with that, you learn a few things. One, if you're just starting with somebody, you have developed a relationship with them. You've developed trust, hopefully. And also, I think if you're an ethical coach, you have a much better sense of whether or not you can help the person. There are times in coaching engagements where you realize that somebody, in spite of saying they want to be coached, and and they earnestly want to make a change, and they're looking desperately for some way to make a change, but they're not going to be receptive to coaching. And I think at that point you just need to say, you know, I don't think coaching is right for you. Um, And you step away. Uh, There may be short-term economic hurt for a coach if they do that, but in the long run, it's a much better idea. It saves both you and the client, and perhaps the client's uh, uh, firm or sponsoring organization a lot of money and a lot of grief. Yeah, well, you're honest to take that approach, and that's a good thing. Because sometimes it's, you know, you can't just force a square peg into a round hole. Absolutely, especially when that square peg doesn't want to have the uh, edges sanded off. Right. So, I mean, I think that's why you're honorable. Thank you. That's awfully kind of you. So um, what, how about the differences between consulting and training and therapy? You know, we've discussed this, and I think that this is really a great way for people to understand how unique, you know, a coach really is because there are so many consultants and there are so many job trainers, and we all know that there's therapists out there. And how does that differ from a real coach? Oh, that's, that's a great question, um, and it actually fills up an entire chapter in my book. Um, l- let me start by saying, as enthusiastic as I am about coaching, and I know I sound like an evangelist at times, coaching isn't a panacea. Uh, there's, there's a problem I think that everybody uh, faces, and coaches face it too, that you know, there's that old saying, uh, when you're holding a hammer in your hand, the whole world looks like a nail. New coaches have a tendency to think that every issue is coachable and every person is coachable. That's not the case. There are certain issues and certain people that really shouldn't be coached. 
coaching is a bad fit. So how do we know the difference? Well, maybe the best way of explaining that is to look at what consulting is and how that differs from coaching. Consulting, at its core, is giving advice, providing a solution. Lawyers are consultants in that regard. They also represent other people, so they have the legal status to do that. But it's giving advice and coming up with solutions. Consulting tends to be analytical. It tends to be left-brained. It often focuses on the what of a situation rather than the who. Now, sometimes lawyers and other people will come to coaches and really Consulting will help them a great deal, but consulting does have its limitations. The litmus test that I use is I will ask a coachee, you know, are you the obstacle that's preventing you from coming up with a solution? Again, we go back to the knowing-doing gap. Consultants can help somebody know what to do. And I do get called in often where another consultant has come in come up with a very impressive strategic plan or a very um, uh, smart succession plan or one for marketing. But what the law firm is realizing is they're having absolutely a horrible time in implementing it. Well, I get curious about why that is. And that's where coaching can be more useful. Again, if you or the people in your organization are the obstacle to success, then coaching may be a good pick. Now, sometimes, sometimes the obstacle, you know, we all have dilemmas uh, that we face. There, you know, seldom are all of our decisions in a given day easy ones. And sometimes they're trade-offs, and sometimes uh, if we want something, uh, we have to make a decision that forces us to let go of something. Uh, consider the example. I'll go back to somebody making partner. Okay, the good news is you're making partner. The bad news is you're going to have less time with your family and your two young kids that could really use you. That's a difficult trade-off for people. And many decisions are like that in one respect or another. Sometimes the trade-offs that come up, the dilemmas that come up, really involve deep psychological problems. And a coach is going to be of limited value. In those sorts of situations, especially when somebody is depressed or anxious or struggling with substance abuse, addictive behaviors, or other derailment behaviors, then a therapist is really useful. There is some emotional healing that needs to take place. And a coach probably doesn't have the background. Now, there are Uh, therapists that also do coaching, and we'll talk about that a little later. The last thing, the last way of helping lawyers and other professionals is training. Sometimes the change you want to make is just learning a new skill. It may be something like, uh, let's say, a, a, a hot topic now, how to effectively use social media, how to use LinkedIn, how to use Facebook, what the differences are. It can be something very simple like the mechanics of that, or it can be something like how do you use it strategically and how do you not contribute to the glut of information and junk email. Now, that's something where training can be very, very effective if it's just the acquisition of skills. Now, when skills get more complex, 
more nuanced or uh, involve uh, relationships when they're interpersonal skills. And I'm really focusing now on marketing, leadership, and management. Training can only go so far. It'll help people <clears throat> excuse me, understand what the skills are, but not necessarily how to put them into effect and how to use them uh, with any degree of facility. And that's where coaching is really helpful. Coaching on top of training gives people descriptive feedback so they understand in the moment what they're doing and how it's working and how it's not working. Now, I've given you four very neat categories. I've given you coaching, consulting, therapy, and training. They're not neat categories at all. They slop over a great deal. There are coaches that use training skills and are hybrids. They're hybrid coaches and trainers. And likewise, there are consultants that use coaching skills very, very well. Uh, there are coaches that use consulting skills. I've found in my practice with lawyers, I work as a coach and consultant. There's times it's very appropriate in helping a client where I'm going to give them advice. I only do one thing when I shift out of a coaching uh, mode with them. I let them know I'm leaving the coaching conversation. And I say, hey, you know, I can help you discover this for yourself or I can save you a lot of time if I give you an idea of what state of the art is in approaching this problem. So moving gracefully between the two, I think, provides the most value for lawyers. Well, I think that was very well articulated in that monologue, Andrew. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, very appreciative of the monologue. I have to say, I'm not used to talking this long with you. I'm used to our back and forth, which is, you know, usually rapid fire, but... uh, I'm happy to help out in terms of your laryngitis. Well, it's uh, I have to say that what this does is it really provides very, um, you know, efficient talking points for the content in your book, and you articulate them so well. So be it. you got to work with the situation. That's what you would tell your clients, right? Sometimes you have obstacles and you just have to adjust. Absolutely. You know, it's, um, you know, we're always in a state of change. Nothing, nothing stays the same. And uh, we're always adapting. And, we're, you know, and the environment we work in changes. Um, you know, goodness, it, it can be something as simple as, now, this, this will be a, uh, a very local example. I live on the west side of Los Angeles, and um, there do, there's tremendous work being done on the 405 freeway. The 405 freeway not just its designation um, as a United States uh, freeway or highway, but also the joke is it takes four or five hours to get anywhere on it. And now they are doing work on the ramps. So everybody who either works or lives on the west side is adapting and trying to figure out how they change their commuting patterns or the, you know, picking up their kids from school so as to minimize the grief of traffic. Now, that's a very you know, a simple example but it's not an easy one, and you can see the frustration level being shared, and I'll just allude to it that way, um, by the drivers on the road. Yeah, you certainly can. There's a lot more <laughs> road rage, but let's take a break, Andrew, and we'll come back for our last segment. And, again, I want to say to my listeners, this show is really helpful 
particularly if you are in the legal field and you are facing obstacles and need to have a little bit of help in your adjustment because Andrew is great. Stand by. Don't go away. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Cindy Rakowitz has won more awards than she can hang on her wall, including three Clios. Call in now at 1-866-472-5788 and you can have one. Okay, maybe not, but she will answer your questions. Back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Andrew, we've come to our last segment together. I'm sad. I know. Well, we'll have to do it again when I uh, when I can talk. Sounds good. Or when the movie based on the book comes out. Ah, uh, who's going to play you? Oh, that's a good question that I didn't think of. Um, well, I'll just default and say definitely not Brad Pitt. Um, in my younger years, I'm okay with George Clooney. Yeah, I think George Clooney would be a good you. Well, thank you. Yeah, so I think we have to work on that together. I'm coaching you and your celebrity quotient. I love it. I love it. So there you go. Well, you know what? You've provided really great information throughout the course of the show. Um, I think we want to talk a little bit more practically. I mean, you talked about this a little bit, but I don't know if you want to add to using the coaching skills for particular situations. Um, coaching skills to lead and manage lawyers, coaching skills when mentoring lawyers, which we talked about a little bit, um, coaching skills when working with lawyers. Do you want to make the differentiations? Sure, I, I'd be happy to. Um, you know, leading and managing a law firm has to be one of the most <clears throat> difficult jobs that there is. I, I was recently at a... Uh, a conference in Austin, Texas. It was the uh, National Association of Legal Career Professionals, and we had a keynote speaker, um, Jim Jones, who uh, has as impressive a resume in law practice management as possible. Uh, he's now at the Georgetown Law Center. He was the managing partner of a, a very well-known, large uh, Washington, D.C. firm, and uh, I believe a co-managing director of a very uh, well-known uh, law 
law practice management consultancy with an international practice. And one thing that he said was that in the difficulties uh, that the legal profession is going through, the key is the people skills. People skills are going to make the difference between those firms that survive and thrive and those that don't. And recent examples of uh, some huge law firms that have imploded uh, give a lot of weight to what he said. So managing and leading lawyers is tough. Um, and in lots of respects, and this is something he said, which I was so happy to hear because it paralleled one of the chapters of my book, um, and it's always nice to get that validation. He said it's tougher to lead a law firm, a big law firm, than a large corporation. So why is that the case? It may seem uh, not obvious at all. Well, the lawyers you're leading in a law firm are also owners of the law firm. So you're in this very delicate situation where they have said you're going to lead, but they haven't necessarily agreed that they're going to follow. And lawyers, by their nature, are very autonomous, they're independent, they're cynical, they're skeptical, uh, they are resistant to just doing what they are told. And this doesn't come from my personal experience. There are studies that have compared the personality of traits of lawyers with the general population and found this. And it doesn't mean to say, I don't mean to say, that lawyers are bad people because of this. Many of these qualities you want in your lawyers. If you have somebody representing you, you want somebody who's going to be assertive, going to be aggressive, going to be questioning everything that happens. This is a very good thing. But if you're leading that lawyer, it may be a tremendous challenge. So what do you do there? Well, the old mode of leadership is command and control. You simply tell people what to do. But seldom in law firms are the lines of uh, responsibility, uh, the chain of command, that direct. So what you need to do is bring people in and reach consensus. And that's where the coaching skills really come in handy. Do you find in law firms that it's imperative, particularly for law firms that have grown too quickly, to have an employee handbook, even though... Some lawyers are partners and not employees, but there are some lawyers that are employees. Well, I, you know, I'm a big fan of employee handbooks, but that really comes not from my coaching background, but rather the legal one. I think uh, employee handbooks are absolutely your, you know, your first line of defense when it comes to risk management. It's important to set out what you know, the rights and responsibilities and boundary conditions are for all employees and the amount of time and expense that is spent in preparing and updating, and I'll emphasize that word, updating, um, an employee handbook are well worth it in terms of the cost of avoiding litigation or minimizing litigation on but of, But, of course, you know, for the lawyers that are, you know, not in that partner category yet, you know, too, so that they can operate in a comfort zone when they're usually independent and analytical. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's always this tension between... Um, our local interest, our self-interest, our personal interest, what's good for us, and what's good for the organization we're in. And that's nothing that's unique to law firms. It exists in all organizations. And, you know, and executives leave because they realize they can do better going somewhere else. The thing that makes it different 
for law firms is that lawyers have more ability to leave, or at least they did before the downturn in the economy. Lawyers have their own books of business, or at least most partners do. So it's as though, let's make the comparison this way. You know, if you're an executive and you're working for a big corporation and uh, you leave the corporation, you may take maybe your admin with you. Some of the people that report you may follow you out of loyalty. If you are in the sales side, you may take some accounts. But you're not going to be taking any factories with you. You're not going to be taking the assets of the uh, company with you. And you're probably not taking any intellectual capital, any patents, any trademarks or anything like that. Okay, compare that to a law firm. Let's say you're a partner at a law firm. You have your own book of business. It represents 10% of the uh, revenue of that law firm, and you decide you're going to go or you threaten to leave. Well, you're actually taking 10% of the business with you. You're taking one of the factories with you. And so the tension between local interests, you know, personal interests, and the interests of the firm is that much more delicate. And the people who lead and manage lawyers need to respond to that. Now, the best way of doing that is by building strong relationships. And that doesn't mean that if you're using coaching skills, you're acquiescing and you're a yes man to everything that everybody wants. That's you know, the fastest path to insanity and a firm breaking up. But coaching skills such as listening, empathizing, reframing, are really useful in building those relationships and getting to understand the people in your firm. Now, you know, I think if you have children or since we all were children, we realize, you know, there are times when we don't get our way and we get frustrated. But if we recognize that we've been heard, we've been listened to, person may not agree with us, they may have their own reasons for doing things. They may be putting their interests above ours. But if at least they listen to us, we feel better about things. We can accept that. And I think that's a lot of what goes on in law firms in terms of management. It's when lawyers feel that they're not heard at all, that nobody cares about what they think, what their goals are, what their priorities are. That's when they get interested in leaving. Or they stick around and they cause problems. And uh, those can be some of the most toxic situations. And it's not just a problem with that individual lawyer. It has a tendency to spill over and disrupt the entire equilibrium of the law firm. So let me, in closing, since we have a minute, say that it is the best intervention, perhaps, to at least um, buy the book that is available through the ABA. Okay, Thank you and, so much. and through your website at newactions.com so that you can have preventative um, crisis planning. Am I correct? Uh, you know, that's certainly a big part of uh, what it is. And uh, with the downturn in the economy, that's been a big focus. And the name of your book again? It's The Lawyer's Guide to Professional Coaching. And I know we've touched on a lot of topics, and we've only skimmed the surface. The book goes down uh, into them, gives a lot of examples that really flesh it out and bring it to life. And I think the uh, lawyers and non-lawyers alike will enjoy it a great deal. Well, listen, I've, um, I'm a non-lawyer who works a lot in the legal industry, as you know, and I've enjoyed our conversation, and I know that I'm going to enjoy your book. Thank you so much, Cindy. I really appreciate you having, having you on the show. And again, you sound 
marvelous, and <laughs> I've given you the burden of, you know, a monologue, and you did beautifully, Andrew, as you always do. Thank you. You're very welcome. My pleasure to be on the show. Cindy, feel better. Get over that laryngitis. And I will talk to you real soon. You take care, and I will see everybody live next week. Thank you for listening to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Please come back next Thursday and every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern for more insider information on the world of public relations with Cindy Rakowitz on Stars of PR. See you next week. I am an American Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel.